SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And also our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. As you may have noticed, or known, or heard, <laughs> SciShow Tangents is now a YouTube channel with, you a U- with YouTube videos. Yeah. And those YouTube, in those YouTube videos, I can see that I keep my notes slightly to the left <laughs> of where my camera is. So I just spend the entire episode like this. Yeah. That's how you've always looked to us. So I'm used to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I don't care about you. (laughs) It's all about the people, Sam. People are going to just have to deal with it. Sorry. Yeah. And nobody knows, but hiding behind the graphics is Tuna. He's here, too. And we can see him, but they can't. Yeah. So he can do whatever. (laughs) He can have his duck doing stuff. He can just walk away, which is what he just did. (laughs) 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 Great. You guys will never know what a great time we're having. All the goofy things, all the goofy, lovely things Tuna is up to. So right now in my life, I'm currently suffering from a debilitating case of dealing with copyright, uh, which (laughs) is not a normal thing, I feel like, for most people. But we're all we're all to some extent YouTubers, so we yeah. know the the life. Yeah. Look, um, I had to pay $150 for a video of for SciShow, and I said, "Look, I do the scripts for free. You could pay $150 for this video of a scientist inflating a moth." 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? Why? Is that the butt thing? Yeah. You take yeah, the, the butt, butt thing. thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so a, a while back, like a you know, six weeks ago on Tangents, we talked about Coromata, which oh, are yes. the, the, the inflatable butt tentacles that some moths have. The worst butt on planet Earth. Yeah, terrible butt situation. And I wrote a I wrote a sideshow about it, and then everybody was like, "We can't find any footage of this." And I was like, "Well, usually you pay for the script, and in this case, you don't, so you can afford to pay Juken Media one hundred and fifty dollars for a clip of a person inflating a moth butt." <laughs> they got their hands on it, huh? Juken got it. And in the video, there's a party blower noise that happens when the <laughs> Coromata come out, <laughs> and I had to put so in the in the, I had to put in the script. Take out the. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That is completely natural, Hank. <laughs> That's the noise that it makes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Anytime yeah. something unfurls in nature, it's a party blower noise, and all the nature <laughs> documentaries edit it out because they're like, "That would be too startling." It's too silly. Yeah, you yeah. Ready yeah we're for trying this. to make something relaxing right now. <laughs> this isn't a party. Yeah. Nature isn't fun. Nature isn't fun. It's relaxing. It's soothing. Speaking of relaxing and soothing, this is a science podcast. (laughs) 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 And every week here on Tangents, we get together to try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts while trying to stay on topic and also failing. Our panelists are playing for Glory and for Hank Bucks, which I'll be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, I will crown one of them the winner. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Sari. Listen to the crashing waves and spread your toes in toasty sand. The salty spray. <laughs> <laughs> the salty spray rarely behaves where humans lay to become tanned. But lo, what's that? Volcanic glass, the striking green of olivine, red from an iron oxide mass, or garbage worn down till it shines. Pentagonal poles of basalt stand tall, or a half-worn away limestone cliff, concretions sticking out like balls. Low tides revealing petroglyphs. From scattered seashells to glowing tides, no two the same on which we roam. So really, what is a beach besides a rocky threshold some call home? Hot damn. Nice. Geological. That was a real poem, huh? Thank you. Yeah, I I felt (laughs) inspired. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes we do real poems and it's like, oof. I don't know. Can we keep going? (laughs) No, we never can. The topic for the day is beaches, not the movie, but the, I guess, <laughs> geological formation. I never thought about it like that until just now. Is but beaches a movie? A, is it? Yeah. It's a resort, too. I feel like I've seen the commercials. Mm. The very. You are not, definitely not born when the movie Beaches came out. No, no. I was, but I was eight, so I wasn't like super into it. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't for you. I was one years old, so um, also yeah. not really watching that one. Mm-hmm. You know the song "Wind Beneath My Wings." That's what I'm seeing right now. Wind beneath <laughs> my wings. Oh, she's fast. She's fast. Songs one under the boardwalk. Is that oh, one a hit yeah. classic too? Well, I think that one sorry. was a hit before. Beaches. <laughs> That's a really really old song. <laughs> okay, two wind beneath my wings. Three. Yeah, I've still got my health. All by Betty Mil- wow. Midler. Betty Midler! <laughs> Is that her name? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you don't know movies either? No, don't, I don't. Well, no, Bette Midler is... Oh, Bette. Yes, Bette Midler. She's both. You've seen Hocus Pocus. 
No, I don't. You've seen Hocus. You have seen Hocus Pocus? Pocus? I've never seen Hocus Pocus. Oh, my God. The topic of the day is beaches. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's Bette Midler now. about to call me a beach. (laughs) (laughs) Bette Midler would would not hesitate. Yeah. (laughs) So, so, Sari, what is a beach? (laughs) Um, So, it is, as far as I can tell, coastal zone. So, Mm -hmm. in between water and land so you can have a lake yeah. beach you can have a mm-hmm. ocean beach you can have a river beach i've been to one yeah mm-hmm. you can have a river beach. Go to them all the time between waterland and it's where sediment is accumulated and deposited and sediment is feels like a loose word geologically because you can have rocky beaches you can have very big sediment you can have mm-hmm. like meter law big rocks Sediment. And that's still a beach. That's still a beach. That's not a beach if they're meter large. That's just a coast. Like a cliff isn't a beach. A beach. I think that's no, a cliff. So there's a that's, line that's, somewhere. That's more than one meter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a line between cliff and beach, but I, I have to be able to lie down on a beach. I disagree. You can walk on a beach, but not lie down on it. Because there's some beaches that. that are like jaggedy rocks. Yeah, you would really not want to lie rocks. down on it. Your butt would hurt. Your back would hurt. I just don't know that that's a beach anymore. I, I think you'd look that, at it and it's... say, that beach sucks. And it's a beach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I disagree. I think that the sediment has to, uh, you have to be able to pick up the sediment. That's the the, the line. If I can no huh. longer lift a piece of the beach, it's not a beach anymore. Okay. What if a, the strongest person on the planet could lift up a rock on the beach? That That'd be fine. If, if like Magnus Magnuson or whatever. So there's more beaches to Magnus Magnuson in the world than there are no, to no, you? No, no, no. He is the person who oh. defines the beach. Oh. His current <laughs> level of strength no, okay. defines all beaches. I like okay. we all have different things yeah. that we can call a different beach. threshold for a beach. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like yeah, we're the, not the allowed older to call. and weaker you get, the, <laughs> the fewer beaches, beaches there are in the yeah. world. <laughs> Yeah. That used to be a beach back in my youth, but now <laughs> I can't bend over. <laughs> there, uh, there also, I think there might be a size at which the sediment can be too small for it to be a beach. Hank. And then, then it's, it's just mud. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. There's like marshes or swamps yeah. that are by oceans. But I think, mm-hmm. yeah, it gets so small that it's dirt or mud. Yeah. Then it's and no longer Apparently a an important part of being a beach is that there's no plants. Or like, there there's an plants. area that's not very planty. Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. Because otherwise, you're like, that's just a wetland. Uh huh. The sand is gets there by by transport from rivers, and uh, and one of the scary things I learned. I don't know if I don't want to ruin your facts or anything. One of the scary things I learned about beaches is that they take time of stability to form, and so if the ocean gets much higher than it is right now, you don't just like get a new beach further higher up. It just eats the beach, and you don't have a beach for a long time unless you make one artificially. So uh, a a world where the sea level increases substantially is a world without natural beaches, which is a bummer. Not the biggest of the bummers that will come along with that world, but uh, one of them. Sari, do you know anything else about beaches? (laughs) I know where the word beach comes from. It was invented by Bette Midler in 1988. (laughs) Yes, and then she sang about it. She was like, let's go to the beach each. Whatever the Nicki Minaj song is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nicki made, remade that Bette Midler song. Uh-huh. Yeah, she did a cover, right? There's only been one song about a beach in the entire history of music, and that's it. And it's just yeah. been covered and recovered. I like that Sarah's starting to get into music, so she doesn't know that one Nicki Minaj song. Yeah. You gotta start somewhere. Beach actually came before Bette Midler, and it was used in Old English. Uh, it came from 
I tried to look up the pronunciation of this B E C E, which is Bisha, I think, like a somewhere between close, close to what mm-hmm. it was. That meant stream and eventually meant like the pebbles that you can find in streams or along the seashore. Oh, mm, so okay. beach was used for rocky beaches in Europe, which there are a what lot do you think of. Think about that, Hank. Look, I agree that if you can pick it up, it's a oh, beach. Yeah, all right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but a strand was used to describe what we would now like. I if I if you picture a beach, you're expecting small sand that can like run through your fingers as opposed to petals, uh, and that's what in old English they called a strand as like mm. a shore or the <clears throat> border between the the land and the sea, which comes from the root S-T-E-R, which means to stretch out, and it's there in stretch. Mm. And also in strand. And also in strand, yeah. Like the current the current definition of strand. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was interesting because you usually say something, like in my head, beached and stranded are synonymous, and I never oh. thought to connect those, oh, but like yeah. that's like the lingering meaning of strand. It's like, oh, you're stranded ashore. But it's because it the is. beach used to be called Hiding. a strand. I mean, I but you can be stranded anywhere now. You don't have to yeah. be stranded on a beach. Yeah, that's true. In fact, all of the places I've ever been stranded were not beaches, unfortunately. Usually like, airport, which is kind of the beach of the air, isn't it? It is an air beach. Yeah. Yeah, airport or gas stations are my main places I've been stranded. Sure. Um, and gas stations are like the beach of the road. That's absolutely true. Sidewalk is a little closer, but... <laughs> Uh, 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 a gas station is like the dock of the road. Yeah, it's a road dock. Yeah. Ahoy. We could call it that. Everybody would be like, yeah, seems right. That seems cool. I like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's better. Excellent. I feel much more informed about beaches than I did a mere 15 minutes ago. Would you guys like to play a game? Okay. Yeah. I've been looking forward to it all day. Oh, really? Yeah. That That's feels so good. Nice. We're going to play a game of tangents, truth or fail today. Uh, it's going to be about beaches. Because when you think of beaches, you probably think of summer and warm weather. Mm-hmm. But even when the weather turns cold and people are not flocking to the beaches, they are still there. And they're maybe even going through some excitement of their own. The following are three stories of wintertime on the beach. But only one of them is true. Which one is it? Winter beach. Cold beach. You don't think about winter beach. We went to Amsterdam for, for VidCon a while ago. And we went to like a resort town and the beach was it was freezing and we were all wearing huge coats but there were there were dutch people frolicking around in their swimsuits and i was like this is cold beach this is a, the life that you live yeah i like a cold i like a cold beach honestly i don't like to get baked waste of a beach mm. beach gotta be hot it's still a beach still a beach it's still beautiful but which one of these things is true are you ready yes, yes. Fact number one, next to Lake Michigan, the combination of snow, wind, and shoreline creates sheets of ice that stack up on top of each other until eventually enough pressure builds up underneath that it erupts into a volcano of ice. Or it could be fact number two, a current called the Kuroshio Current transports sand mixed with algae from beaches to the northern Pacific Ocean, and in winter, those bits of algae and sand begin to ice together, creating a frigid beach in the middle of the ocean. 
Or it could be fact number three. <laughs> Off the coast of California's beaches are forests made of kelp that house a massive amount of wildlife. And as the cold sets in and the kelp begins to die off, this is good news for the local sea otter population, which uses the dying kelp to create floating mats to insulate them like adorable little otter sleeping bags. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was really excited to hear what word you were going to come up with. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't Tacos. remember what that thing was called. <laughs> okay. So it could be uh, ice volcanoes along the beach. It could be the beach in the middle of the ocean, or it could be little comforters for sea otters sourced from a kelp forest. So the first one, we have a, f- a mutual friend, Alexis, who lives in Michigan and mm-hmm. does science communication and posts a lot of pictures of Lake Michigan or videos of how icy it gets. And I feel like if there was an ice volcano, like she icy. would have gotten a picture of it because she's all on the lake all the freaking time. <laughs> and I've seen those big ice sheets and they are quite dramatic and crashy, but never an ice volcano. Yeah. I got really hung up on this one because I lived in Chicago by, I think, Lake Michigan. That's Lake Michigan, right? It was hell in the winter. It was like... It was like another world over there. It was like you were on Venus or something. It was just like wind, mm-hmm. ice. So I could totally believe that that would happen. But I feel like I'm too hung up on that one just because I lived in Chicago. So I mm. got to gotta open my mind. I don't think it could be the otters, though, because I don't think they need to be insulated, number one. I don't think they're that smart, number two. <gasps> Well, I I was with you on number one. I was like, look, maybe otters are so amazing. Who knows? I don't think they need to be smart. They're like a cat. They have so many abilities and powers. Cats are also smart. They have so many abilities and powers that they don't need to be that smart. Otters are smart and they're every bit as smart as you. That well, okay. I don't think they do. They they did you pass AP calculus? No. Neither did an otter. Same. (laughs) What if I had said yes? You picked one I, you knew I, I didn't do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could have gone for AP art history or something yeah, like that. I didn't do that, no. That's, no. There were some AP classes I did pass, but that weren't. <laughs> so, so what do you think? What so do you I, think? I think Either, it's pretty uh, much got to be number... There's I, the middle of, beach in the middle of the ocean. I think I would have seen that. Beach. I think I would have seen the ice volcano on the news when I lived there. So I think it's yeah. number two, just by process of elimination. I think it's the otters. As much as you you are against the otters, I feel like we talk ourselves out of the correct one every freaking time. Okay, I'm not going to argue with you because you're a, a nemesis. But <laughs> oh, we're now we're we're not working together this episode. <laughs> no, 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 that didn't work. No, no. we both failed. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the the otters at the kelp forest. Well, I'll tell you what, you two do tend to talk yourselves out of the right answer because <gasps> ice volcanoes, Google it, it's real. No! That doesn't necessarily happen every year, but in February of 2020, you right. could find ice volcanoes along the shores of Lake Michigan. They're not actually volcanoes, but they sure do look like them. They're cone-shaped mounds that form under very specific conditions that Lake Michigan happens to provide. Very cold temperatures, a lot of snow, and a lot of waves. So as snow falls on the lake, it begins to form like a slush, and then that eventually gets floated to shore, and then mounds of slush begin to accumulate, and uh, and then eventually the water pressure builds up underneath the ice to the point that it erupts and it shoots like water up like 15, 10, 15 wow. feet. According to one meteorologist, the eruptions sound like a slurpy getting dropped on the ground. I should have known there was... No amount of weather-based depravity like Michigan wasn't capable of. (laughs) (laughs) 
So as far as beach in the middle of the ocean, not that beach in the middle of the ocean, but in 2006, uh, when on a boating trip in the South Pacific, some people happened upon what looked like a beach in the middle of the ocean. It was actually a floating mass of pumice stones that had up, yeah. ended up there because of an undersea volcanic eruption further out. Uh, so uh, the, the basically like rock got gas from the eruption trapped inside of it, floated up and became this like big mat. Uh, sadly, these kinds of islands don't last very long. Uh, a year later, it was mostly gone. The uh, last one, kelp forests, definitely a thing. There are definitely sea otters that like to swim around in them, but they do not make blankets out of the kelp, uh, even do, despite how... how... <laughs> Why don't they? Because <laughs> they're stupid how and they don't need I to. Became. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you they don't need to. I'll give you they don't need to. Um, go visit Monterey Bay if you haven't been able to. Go to the aquarium and check out the otters. You can see them close up at the aquarium, and you can see them out in the wild in yeah, the kelp no, forest. Help you with your math homework, or apparently. No, they won't. They didn't pass <laughs> either. They'll only do art history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So it's a tie ball game here at zero to zero, and we're gonna head off for a short break, and then we'll be back for the fact off. Special Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Aspersions. One of those. But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun Mm -hmm. burns out. And you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. (laughs) (laughs) You want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. That bean's not going to grow. If if there's a constant drain on the the bean, that (laughs) is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and beyond I mean, beans and beyond subscription canceling (laughs) rocket money helps you build budgets, track your spending and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans. So they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I buy more beans. (laughs) (laughs) Different kind of bean, I guess. A cheaper, more of a cheaper type of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. (laughs) Yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. (laughs) Subscription (laughs) companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot. And now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop wasting (laughs) money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Sideshow Tangents is brought to you by Factor. 
whose ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning. Stress is stressful. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> Life just goes and goes, and it doesn't ever stop going. There's always something else to do. And one of those things is a very important thing called eating dinner. To eat dinner, one must pick out what they want to eat and then go to the grocery store and then buy the stuff and then chop the stuff and do other things to the stuff. You have to heat the stuff and put it in water. And then afterwards, you have to take the things that you heated it in and they're gross and you have to make them clean again. Meanwhile, life is still happening that all oh, all oh, that's building up around you. Oh, this is like, terrifying. I'm so, <laughs> I never want to cook again. <laughs> You're right, Factor Ad. I don't. I don't want to have this happen. This is unacceptable. Sometimes, uh, parentheses, all the time, uh, you just don't have the time or the energy for meal planning on top of everything else going on in your life. So thankfully, Factor is here to help. Factor's two-minute meals are your secret weapon come mealtime. You can get mm -hmm. chef-crafted meals that are better for you and better tasting than takeout delivered right to your door ready to heat and ready to eat. No prep, no mess, no sink full of dishes, no stress. We're kicking stress out the door in 2024, and I certainly hope that's true for me. <laughs> Heck yeah, Factor. Kick my stress. Right out the door. <laughs> I'm going to get a chest freezer just for these meals. <laughs> oh, you're going to need one because they have over 35 meals to choose from. Flexible ordering options, add-ons, smoothies. Factor offers all sorts of fast, simple solutions when you you're too busy to cook. Banish your stress, even if it's just for like one hour while you're eating dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash tangents50 and use code tangents50 to get 50% off. That's code tangents50 at factormeals.com slash tangents50 to get 50% off. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the Fact Off. Our panelists have all brought science facts to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind. And after they have presented their facts, I will judge them and award Hank Bucks to the one that blew my mind the most and also that I would be most inclined to make a TikTok video about. But to decide who goes first, we have a trivia question. In 2013, Canadians were facing a major challenge. Large flocks of Canada geese would show up at beaches and poop so much that the water was becoming a public health threat. So the city of Ottawa decided to turn to drones to scare off the geese. The drone was designed and run by Steve Wambolt, who equipped it with lights and audio recordings of goose predators like foxes and eagles. <laughs> Wambolt would show up to the beach at 4 a.m. to ward off any initial geese and then return throughout the day to run the drone again. And his efforts paid off. At the beach he was working at, a flock of 150 geese would usually show up each summer, but with his goose-fighting goose drone, that number went down. On average, how many geese showed up once the drone started to do the drone work. I like how we never name scientists on this, but we named this guy who this flew guy. the goose drone. <laughs> <laughs> Very important job. He just sat at the beach all day and flew his freaking drone. If, uh, if that's the feel, like, look, we don't need universal basic income. We need universal basic goose scaring drone jobs. <laughs> yeah, everybody. Like then everybody be like, all right, I'm set. I like my life. Yes. I get to, I get to scare geese yeah. with drones. The economy is based on paid. terrorizing geese now <laughs> yeah 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 so there was 150 on a normal year how many were there on the goose year or the drone year 
What? Like how many? They would just land once? Oh, well, I'll just guess. I think the answer is a big goose egg. Zero. (laughs) 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 I can't go below that, Sarah. No. uh, I'm going to say, I don't know, 30? Can you say any other number besides 30? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't want to win. I'll say maybe 32. All right. Sam is the winner. The answer is 15. Which was exactly between zero and thirty, which you would know, Sam, if you took AP calculus. (laughs) Yeah, I did the I did those integrals in my head and was like, (laughs) how do I make time? Sam, that's not calculus, is it? No, no, it's It's just division. Yeah, that's what I thought. It's it's part of the reading, writing, arithmetic, Sam. Well, look, I thought maybe if that was calculus, I'm really good at math, and I didn't know it. Yeah. All right, so Sari intentionally threw it, which means that Sam gets to decide who goes first. (laughs) I'll go first. Ready? Yes. Yeah. Per and polyfluoroalkyl substances, or PFASs, is there an easier okay. way to say that? PFASs? Can I say PFASs? Yeah, PFASs. I think that people say PFASs. Are a chemical used in a variety of products. It's super hydrophobic, so it's used in stuff like waterproof fabrics and paints, and it's super heat resistant and tough, so it's used in firefighting foams and nonstick pans. PFASs are made up of carbon and fluorine bonds, and carbon and fluorine bonds are one of the strongest bonds in chemistry. So the chemical will basically exist in nature. Forever. So PFASs have been dubbed the forever chemical, which is great for waterproofing and nonstick pans. It's a wonder chemical of the mid-century. And like so many other wonder chemicals of the mid-century, it's got a lot of fucked up stuff going on for it too. For one, it's been linked to all sorts of health effects like ulcerative colitis, infertility, and cancer. Uh, Generally, exposure to them is pretty low, but they tend to stick around in the body and accumulate and cause problems if you just are exposed to them too much. Another issue, the forever part of forever chemicals becomes an issue when they end up in the environment. So people throw things with PFASs in them away, or they pee and poop out PFASs that end up inside of their body, and then those end up in the water, which end up in the ocean. And there the PFASs stick to plankton, which get eaten by fish, which get eaten by whales and seals and bigger fish and all the guys in the ocean that eat fish. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is not good for them because it impacts ocean life's health just like it impacts ours. But honestly, it sort of seems like we took the sucks to be them approach to this whole situation. So the PFAS genie is out of the bottle. They're in the ocean. Uh, And if they're in the ocean, at least they aren't floating around in the atmosphere for human beings to breathe in and ingest. So the prevailing theory was that they would end up stuck to debris and drift to the bottom of the ocean and just get sealed up in a watery grave. Immediately adjacent to the ocean is, you guessed it, the beach. So let's picture been, the beach. Been, We've already done this with Sari, but we'll do it again. Warm sand, bright mm-hmm. sun, gulls mm-hmm. flapping in the salty breeze. Love it. A little crab is maybe walking around. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And the waves breaking against the shore, a misty spray shooting up into the air and gently missing you with toxic chemicals. Oh, no. <laughs> I was enjoying my book. In December 2021, the least beachy month of the year, a team of scientists from (laughs) Stockholm, Sweden, released a paper, the findings of which suggest that a not insignificant amount of PFASs were not ending up in Davy Jones's locker as hypothesized, but actually being re-released into the air by the aerosol spray of waves breaking against Mm. the shore. So previous samples by the same team 
had found PFASs in the atmosphere around the ocean. Uh, mm-hmm. In this newer study, they took 100 air samples from two beachfront towns in Norway between 2018 and 2020. One was right on the shore and one was 12 miles inland. So not beachfront, but near the, near the beach. Mm-hmm. And they found PFASs in every single one of them, along with sodium ions indicative of the PFASs being carried in by a spray-filled ocean breeze. And the higher the sodium in the air sample, the higher the PFASs were too. So the team concluded that somewhere between 284 and 756 U.S. tons of PFASs could be being released into the air every year and be blown far enough inland to contaminate water sources in more places than just beachfront cities. Plus, almost half of humans live within like 50 miles of the ocean anyway, so they don't even have to blow that far. Uh, So I guess the moral of the story is, I don't know, the Earth's a closed loop and we live here. So maybe be careful about industrial waste. That's why we live in Montana, Sam. <laughs> yeah. We're come come get us. From them, maybe. Good luck. Good We're luck. just peeing and pooping them downstream for other people. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, just licking my Teflon pans and peeing yeah. for everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Take that, sea otters. <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's a bummer. Yeah. I feel like these chemicals aren't new. They're from the 40s. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We've just gotten like better at both detecting them and maybe being worried about them. Yeah. Yes. I think like we figured out the health problems associated with them. I don't think you can even manufacture them in the U.S. anymore. Oh, okay. But you wow. can import them and use them and stuff. So they're still around. They're not like That's the stuff Seattle's, that ate those. I there. feel like if you gotta say like you you can't make this anymore, you gotta say you also can't use it. Yeah. It does seem a little it's weird. Like, like it's okay to, to to destroy the planet. Just yeah. like the other part. It's like it's not other part. It's just one yeah. planet. As I was reading this, there was a lot of moments where I was like, well. They're just going to go in the ocean, and we're okay with that. It's just like they're too useful for us to do anything about, really, mm. is what it seemed like. So, yeah. So we ruined the beach. It's okay. We'll get another planet eventually. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sari, what do you got? I, are you going to uplift me a little bit? A little bit. And then they're okay. going to come back down a little bit at the uh, end, too. Sure. But there'll be an uplifting part. So I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, which is a loosely defined geographic region in Washington and Oregon in the U.S. and British Columbia in Canada. (laughs) And all my formative memories of beaches didn't involve palm trees and leisure. They involved rain jackets and a strong sense of wonder because of rocky tide pools and marine life. And so to describe a beach for the third time this episode, (laughs) uh, (laughs) but crabs and anemones and gulls, so two of the same animals Sam mentioned. I some of those too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Weren't the only animals that made their home in these damp sands. For thousands of years, there were also fluffy, white, domesticated dogs raised for their companionship and shorn regularly like sheep. Uh, So the coast... Salish is a group of indigenous peoples that live along the coastlines of the Pacific Northwest, and before European colonizers wreaked havoc and displaced them, many coast Salish nations had a close relationship with different types of dogs, including hunting dogs and these so-called Salish woolly dogs. And a lot of what we know about Salish woolly dogs is through indigenous oral histories. They were raised on small islands separate from other canids so that they would selectively breed with each other and maintain their long, fleecy coats. They were groomed, mm. cared for, and ate seafood-based proteins from near-shore ocean fish to marine mammals. And they either indirectly hunted and ate scraps because of their closeness with humans or were fed directly like treasured companions. 
<laughs> Every so often, the Salish woolly dogs would be shorn for their fur, which would be traded or mixed with mountain goat fur and plant fibers, spun into yarn, and woven into fabric like blankets or clothing. Now, there's only one Salish woolly dog pelt in the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History or any museum because some European dude named George Gibbs was doing anthropological surveys of the Pacific Northwest in the mid-1800s, took or bought or somehow acquired a dog, named him Mutton, and then donated his pelt after he died. Okay. And when this pelt was... And when this pelt was excavated from a filing cabinet... Textile conservationists were extremely excited because it's basically impossible to tell what furs are interwoven into a blanket or something just mm. by looking at it. Mm-hmm. But with mass spectrometry, researchers could closely analyze the proteins in various fiber samples, including mutton's fur, and more decisively determine which coast Salish fabrics in various museum collections were made with Salish woolly dog fur. And this is where it gets kind of a bummer. I wish I could tie this up with a happy ending, but colonization sucks for a lot of reasons, especially because of how many indigenous ways of life were criminalized, from languages to domesticating cute, fluffy island beach dogs for fabric weaving. Uh, And because of that, Salish woolly dogs went extinct sometime before the 1900s. And we've not only lost cultural information, but also knowledge about how dogs got domesticated in North America and were left to piece it together from oral histories or archaeological dig sites and canid bones that we find inside. And so, one single filing cabinet pelt. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that one, and mutton. Mutton. Thank you, Mutton, <laughs> mutton like the dogs. Yeah. <laughs> when, he, when he named him Mutton, I was like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> he did not eat him. Yeah, he just like, I think Mutton like chasing sheep and like ate the... Yeah. head of a sheep pelt or something like that at some point uh, it's like okay i mean the, the there's pictures of salish woolly dogs mm-hmm. which is wonderful uh because they look very cute and i love that they were actually used as a as like a textile source mm-hmm. would never have thought of dogs being used in that way mm-hmm. where it's like you get companionship and you get like a like a guard dog effect like a barking alarm but you also get fabric yeah Get a little thing to no spin idea. into yarn. What just... does that have to do with beaches? They like lived on the <laughs> they beach. They live on they beach. Ate seafood. Uh... <laughs> they were island dogs. They lived they on the beach. Island. That's what they're. They were beach dogs. They hung out on the beaches. And and this was part of how they were bred. Is like their little island lifestyle. Yeah. So they the coastal Salish were not only on islands, but like along the Pacific Northwest. But they specifically kept these dogs on really small islands so that they could roam freely, like without being caged. But also. Yeah. Like, hang out, do the dog stuff, but also not mix with wolves or the hunting dogs right. that were on mm. the rest of the land. Little special uh, boy island. A good yeah. special boy island. <laughs> good boy island. <laughs> Sam. Yeah. Are you willing to concede defeat to the Salish woolly dog? Uh, why are you asking me? Because <laughs> I think that we all agree that that's really great, and I gotta have to give it to that one because there were islands full of little dogs. Yeah, it's like but you're making island, me concede because you making me concede because you know you're making the wrong choice. Is that no, what it is? no, no, it's because I think that you agree with me. I absolutely don't. It's bar- so barely about beaches. It's about dogs. <laughs> it is barely, dog you are episode. right that it's barely about beaches. And yours was very beach-tied, but beach-centric. But also, I don't want to think about the fact that I'm going to poison myself if I go to the beach. Not a good reason to make a decision, but 
I concede defeat, Hank. <laughs> <laughs> there are all so many cute pictures of dogs. People are going to look at his TikTok and be like, ooh, what a good dog. Ooh, I'm going to listen to Tangents. That's that what the team sound thing. like. That's you really guys need one. to remember. <laughs> that this is all, it's all about getting people to listen to Tangents. Anyway... Uh, congratulations, Sarah. That means you're the winner of the episode because of how you guys got no points <laughs> in the first part. Just eking by. That's that's my motto. <laughs> <laughs> now it's time to ask the Science Couch, where we ask some listener questions to our virtual couch of finely honed scientific minds. At Judah Kraz asks, how do whales get beached? How do they get pushed so far up inland? Uh, is a great question. I think it's probably, it's a bunch of different things. But one of the things is that tides happen. And so, mm. so like, so you start up maybe not so far up the beach, but then you're like, oh, I'm way up the beach now because the tide went out. They're not ramping? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't do a ramp. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't do a, a sweet yeah. trick and then okay. miss but the landing. Then, as for the question of how do whales get beached generally, how do they get them into a situation where they are so far up onto the beach that they can't get off at all, and then the tide has a chance to go out while they can't move? That is a question of some confusion. Like many things, scientists are like, eh, we have some guesses, but yeah. <laughs> are not entirely sure. So one of them is just general topography of the seafloor and getting confused because sometimes beaches drop off so quickly that mm. at when the tide is deep enough, the whales don't properly sense the seafloor or the cetaceans because dolphins get beached as well. Mm. Um, and so they basically make certain regions more dangerous for deep water marine mammals because they're not as used to sussing out the seafloor. They just have this researchers think they have this assumption of safety. So when they get too close, and this can be because they're in an unfamiliar place or because they were driven there by a lack of food because mm -hmm. of pollution or overfishing or other things, then they swim into areas that they're unfamiliar with. And then as the tide rushes out, then they're beached or stranded. Part of it might be because of interference with sonar, um, whether it's because of sickness and pollution in chemicals, like Sam's fact, or uh, noise pollution, like sound pulses generated by human yeah. equipment underwater. They just get disoriented and end up headed in the direction of land. And then a lot of the mass strandings, so when you see, I think anything above one adult whale or cetacean uh, or a m mother and child is considered a mass stranding. So uh, anywhere from two to hundreds um, is because these animals are so social, which is very heartbreaking and very sweet that if one is sick and beaches itself, then their instinct is to help or to follow or to like stick together as a pack. <laughs> and so whether they all headed into an inlet and then the tide went out, or if one of them got beached or is on its way to getting beached, then they follow anyway to be like, mm. maybe we should stick together. We should try to do something. I don't want to anthropomorphize animals, but like there's some herd mentality there. And then once you're on land, then it's a race against time because uh, the cetaceans are usually supported by water and in air their body weight often like crushes their internal organs uh toxins can build up and if like technically they're mammals they breathe air 
Uh, so if water gets in the blowhole, then they can drown, which is why conservationists say to like wait for or like call for help or call a volunteer because there are procedures like keeping it wet but not suffocating it mm-hmm. or like making sure it's protected from the sun because it doesn't have sun protection naturally and can get burnt um, and whatnot. So, mm. oh gosh, the fact that they like accidentally or on purpose kill themselves on mass when they're trying to be like our friend, our friend. Yeah, beaches are Ooh, sad. I don't like. I don't. Yeah, beaches. I never. We started out thinking beaches were great. Turns out they're just they're a, worse, a source of great worse. of great horror yeah. and sadness in our universe. If you want to ask the Science Couch your question, <laughs> follow us on Twitter at SciShow Tangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Or you can join the SciShow Tangents Patreon and ask us on Discord. Thank you to Marinara or Marianara on Discord, Bill on Discord, and everybody else who asked us your questions for this episode. If you like SciShow Tangents and you want to help us out, it's super easy to do that. You can go to patreon.com slash SciShow Tangents, where you can be able to patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes episodes you can also leave us a review wherever you listen that uh helps us know what you like about the show and it helps other people know what you like about the show and finally if you want to show your love for SciShow tangents just tell, tell people, people about, about us. us and you can watch us on youtube and subscribe yeah. to the channel <laughs> like and subscribe yeah. everyone leave a comment I'm, i read all the comments because there aren't that many and so i can <laughs> i read them and even reply to a lot of them <laughs> yeah. oh. thank you for joining us i've been hank green i've been sari riley and I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes along with Seth Glickspin. Our story editor is Alex Billo. Our social media organizer is Paula Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistants are Deboki Chakravarty and Emma Douster. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our executive producers are Caitlin Hoffmeister and me, Hank Green. And of course, we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. If you ever see a little pile of sand on the beach that looks like a coiled squiggly poop emoji or some spaghetti noodles, it's probably Mm -hmm. not just a coincidence. And it didn't come from anyone's butt above ground. (laughs) But it did come from someone's butt. It did come from a butt. (laughs) Lugworms are actually hiding just beneath the surface on lots of coastal beaches and are big parts of ecosystems. They have U-shaped burrows, and they eat microorganisms in the sand, and then they poop out all of the rock they can't digest as a cast onto the surface of the beach, and that's the little squiggly poop. So if you want to see one for yourself, dig down in the sand when you see one of their poops, or just Google a picture. Or, if you're watching on YouTube, we'll probably just show you one right now. Yeah, here it is. Uh, if it's not there and I couldn't find a picture of it, who knows Copy what I'm showing right now. On Wikipedia. That was all copyright's fault. Yeah. Mr. Thanks. and Mrs. Copyright Thanks causing huge copyright. problems. <laughs> I have a big picture of Mickey Mouse showing right now instead of... Uh, is that kind of- <laughs> Take that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Walter. And we'll now watch the entirety of Star Wars, episode <laughs> six, whatever one that is. <laughs> <laughs>